Oh, I haven't cried so much in a while. Oh, my goodness. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> now I've got to preach a sermon. I don't know how you expect me to do that. Um, oh, wow. I kind of feel like half the sermons, well, most of the sermons have already been preached through what we've already heard and sung and, um, and meditated on already. Pete, can I just say, where's Pete? I, just, I love how you bring out Hebrew and Greek in worship. I think it's amazing that people can do that in a sermon, let alone like while they're trying to hit the right note and that sort of thing. I think it's cool. Thanks for doing that. It really compliments the words and, and that sort of thing. Who else appreciates a bit of Hebrew and Greek in worship? Yeah, it's good. Am I in an all right spot? Can everybody see me without straining your neck muscles? I'm getting nothing, guys. A bit to the right. Sorry? Yep, beautiful. Very good. All right, I feel like I'm getting heckled. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, we're probably over that side. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Love you guys. All right. I don't know how long this is going to take. I don't think it's going to take as long as I usually do because, as I said, I just love how God, when we get together, God's saying stuff and he doesn't just need a bunch of words on a slide to get it across it comes through everything and I really feel like this morning God is wanting to just remind us of the priority that loving each other because of the love that he's first shown us that priority that needs to be in our lives and in our community for those of you who've been following along with us um, over the last few weeks we've been journeying as a church community through a book called letters to the church by Francis Chan who's been reading it out of interest Yep, so we've got about 30%. Great. The rest of you, 70%, get on it. It's a good book. Please do. It's really easy to read too. I know some of us like hate reading. This one's an easy one. I highly encourage you to, to get a copy. Have a chat to one of the navigators, to Matt. Navigators, can you wave your hands quickly? Great. Speak to someone who's waving their hand afterwards. They'll buy you a book. I'll buy you a book. Come talk to me. It's all good. Youth, if you're not reading it, Go talk to a youth leader, all right? Ask your youth leaders whether they're reading it because I have a suspicion that a couple of them did not put their hands up just then. So heckle them as well. So last week, Tanya shared with us about the importance of making decisions and making decisions that are not necessarily easy to make, but making decisions that God asks us to make because they're good and because his way is better. And that's quite hard sometimes. Sometimes that requires us to sacrifice. Sometimes it requires us to lay down stuff that we think's nice or we think's comfortable. And the week before that, Matt talked about how God's holy. God's set apart. He's different. He's a lot higher and bigger and greater and gooder to coin a very appropriate English term than us. And that's really the foundation upon which we make the decisions that God calls us to make decisions on because we believe God is, is better than us. And one of those commands, one of those things that God asks us to do as believers, as those who've been called out of darkness into light, is to prioritise community and doing life together with our brothers and sisters who've also been called out of darkness into light. And I know this is a sensitive area for a lot of people because particularly um, those of you that are 
in the older generation. I'm not going to call you old because I've been told off for that before in this, in this gathering. Um, it's a sensitive area because we've all got different experiences of church. Some of us have been hurt in the church. Some of us have feel like church life hasn't measured up to what we expected or wanted. Um, some of us have had some really good experiences in the church, you know. And for some of us, we've had really good experiences in the church 20 years ago and we're, we're still looking and we're, we're wondering what's missing. So I want to just disclose that I, I understand that it's, a, it's not an easy area for all of us that I'm going to be sort of unpacking this morning. But I believe it is an area that is so central to God's heart. Jesus died for his body. You know, he laid down his life for those of us that have been called out. Um, and he loves the church. So I just want to take a quick moment just to pray. I'm just a guy who's written a bunch of words and put a less than quality PowerPoint slide together. I really need the Holy Spirit to do something right now because it's him who reveals what he wants to say to us. So can we just stop and pray? Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your incredible love for us, God. Thank you so much that we get to just this morning, just step back and, and be reminded of what you've done for us, the life that you've paid for us, the freedom that you've bought for us. God, we just, we're in awe of you, Lord. And as we spend a few moments, God, just reading some of your word and reflecting upon some ideas that I believe we need to reflect on, God, I pray that you would do what no one other than you can do, Holy Spirit. We just acknowledge that you are here right now. We acknowledge that you want to speak to us in our hearts. God, you want to convict us. You don't want to condemn us. You want to convict us about how we can change things so that we can be a better representation of you to this world that is dying and broken and so desperately needs you. And so I pray that you would do a work in our hearts now, God. Lord, change us, we ask in Jesus' name. All right. I'm trusting that God's going to answer our prayer, eh? Wrestling to be the church of love that Jesus envisioned. So... I want to just kind of define, reframe church, you know. The beautiful thing about having the mic is that I get to define words. You don't. Sorry about that. We're a community of people aiming to acknowledge God is good, He's holy, that His ways are best, and in that we're loving each other genuinely because that's what God calls us to do. All right, I'm just going to go on anyway. So I had an embarrassing picture of my siblings. I just want to talk a little bit about my experience of church. Oh, is it up there? No. Right, there you go. I know, right? So my church experience, my experience of the body of Christ has been a pretty good one. Mum and dad have, have grown up in the church community. This is going back quite a few years. This is us, part of the Belgrave South Baptist Church community. This is, believe it or not, that's Asher. He's so small and doesn't have any hair. Asher, are you here? He is there. Oh, that's right. And you'll probably notice too, this is, can you see who that is? That's Rachel. Yay. Cool. Now, I grew up at Belgrave South Baptist Church in that community and I've got a pretty good recollection of some of the memories. You know, I remember Rachel dressing up as an angel. I think I was a sheep. You can probably see me in the corner there. We acted in nativity plays from an early age. Um, we had we had dedications. One of my most significant memories of Belgrave South Baptist Church is a dude about, I think he was like, when I was young, he was about oh, in his mid-40s. He used to give me like lolly snakes, 
like sneak them to me in the middle of a service. Mum, do you remember Milton Edwards? No. You do? Yeah. I remember the lolly snakes. I remember the sand pit outside that us kids used to spend time in after, after the service. We'd run out, we'd dig up the sand pit. I remember one weekend, I think we were on, because um, the church had a property, and um, we would, families would be scheduled to do like maintenance. Um, I think we were on a roster. And I remember partic- um, one, one particular Saturday where we were on maintenance, um, our family, and I'm pretty sure Hannah, myself, maybe Rachel, I don't know if you were old enough, Rachel, but Hannah and I decided that we'd dig to China or something like that in the sand pit. Is that, do you remember that? And oh, we, we dug a solid, like, two-metre deep hole in the sand pit, and I remember mum's face, mum and dad had finished, like, cleaning in the church, and then they'd come out, and then they realised that we dug this, like, massive hole in the sand pit. They were probably, like, oh, so ready to go home, and then they realised we had to fill in this, like, massive hole in the sand pit. I'm so sorry about that, guys. So I've got some pretty good experiences. You know, all those ones are based around interacting with, you know, other younger kids. Um, I remember, as I said, that older dude who gave me lolly snakes. There was a real nice family feel to that church community. And, and I'm really thankful for those memories because I learned very quickly that, you know, the people of, of God, the church, were people I could trust and love and enjoy doing life with. But I didn't avoid, I guess, receiving the idea... And ending up with a, what I like to refer to as a psychological frame. I'm studying psychology, for those of you who don't know. So if I use some jargon, I'm, I apologise. I didn't avoid ending up with this psychological frame in my mind that I go to church, unfortunately. And while I don't want this space to become um, one where I'm demonising language and that sort of thing, I think there is some problems with the way that we conceptualise church in culture so church it's not a thing we attend but we keep saying it even this week I I was reflecting back and I can't remember how many times I said oh I'm preaching at church to someone or I'm going to church on Sunday and I've been trying really hard lately to to not use that language and I want to just talk about that a little bit because I think it's actually more important than what we think it is church is not a thing we attend Many of you will be familiar with the word ecclesia. That's the original Greek word that where we see church in our New Testament Bible, ecclesia is the Greek word that translators have, I guess, put church in place of. Now, ecclesia, does anyone know what ecclesia means? Does anyone want to have a stab? We've got Joan, you want to have a go? Awesome. Well done, Joan. Oh, good work. Well done. Great reading. I actually didn't realise I had it written up. I was hoping to use... I thought I had like the... What are the things where it zooms in? The effects on. That's okay. It's all good. Well done, Shane. So the ecclesia is those that have been called out. So it's very clear that it's people, yeah? Um, We don't call out a building. We don't call out a service. God's called people out of darkness, out of you know, a way of life that's not healthy and stuffed up and broken. He's called us out of that into a new life, into a way of life that involves freedom and love and peace and joy and all that good stuff. So, and why I think this is a problem is because we've got a responsibility, as in the definition of church that we're using, going to church. Why I think this is a problem is because we've got a responsibility to represent what that lifestyle looks like to the world. And when I say I'm going to church to my unsaved uni friend who's got no schema whatsoever about what church is about, they assume that I'm going to a building, that church is a building, it's a place you go 
hang out just like a club or a, a sporting facility or something like that. It puts them in a place where they're disadvantaged because they think church is something it's not. And then there's got to be some work that's, un, there's got to be undoing work in their lives when they get to a point of being able to accept God. Does that kind of make sense? So we're actually disadvantaging people and misleading people when we say we're going to church. Just to give you examples of how language can shape culture, just think about some of the words that we use in everyday life, the changing nature of words. There's, there's words that we use nowadays, and I'm sure you're thinking of some right now, that the, the definitions have completely changed over time. And church is one of these, these words. And unfortunately, we end up with a, a psychological frame about words that's just so far from the original intention. And it, we need to be really careful about the words that we use. I wanted to note that at the start, just um, because I think it's really important as, as we move through this message, but also as we communicate with those around us. Let's just be careful about how we use the word church. Because if I say I'm going to church, what I really mean is I'm going to gather with people who've been called out of darkness. And that means a lot more. It's a lot deeper than saying I'm going to rock up, sit in a seat, listen to a message and sing some songs. All right? There's actually opportunity for us in using specific words to have a really good conversation with someone. So fun tip for you, try using church gathering. I'm going to a church gathering on the weekend, you know. I'm hanging out with my church if you want to be cool, something like that. Anyway, so that's that's our semantic tip. So church is those that have been called out. We've cleared that up. That's really good. just want to take a look at the early church. So as the early church community prioritised teaching, fellowship, communion and prayer, amazing things happened. A tight-knit community was birthed. I think there's... Can I get somebody to look up Acts 2, 37 to 47? I'm really into having participation when I speak. Somebody want to volunteer to look up that passage? Reuben, you got it? Oh, we've got the two brothers vying for it. All right. Reuben, can you look up Acts? Ethan, can I get you to look up John 17, 20 to 23, please? Can I get another volunteer? John 13, 12 to 17. Hand, please. Love you. Mum, thank you. Another hand. Who wants to? Thanks, Sal. Do you want to look up John 13, 34 to 35? Another hand. Bray, good man. John 15, 12 to 17. Thanks, Orion. Sorry to reject you. Just want to spend some time looking through some passages. Have you got that Acts passage, Ruben? Peter's words pierced with their hearts, and they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, Save yourselves from... Uh, This crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. 
All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, uh, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers uh, met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Awesome. Thanks, Reuben. How cool. A lot of us look at that and go, man, that sounds really cool. I wish I could be part of that. So there was life happening together. There was joy and God was adding to their number. They were getting together. They were hanging out. They were reading the word. They were taking communion together. They were fellowshipping. Fellowshipping is just a fancy Christianese word for getting to the, together and having a good time. And there was this tight-knit community happening. Really cool stuff. Fascinatingly, this was exactly what Jesus hoped for. Who's got John 17? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those uh, who will believe in me through their message, that all of them uh, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may uh, they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory uh, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and uh, you in me, so that uh, they may be brought uh, to completer unity. Then the world will know uh, that uh, you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hmm, awesome. Thanks, Heath. So I think I, I gave a message a, a while ago on unity and used this passage as a basis. And when I was studying it, I was blown away at that last verse. Then the world will know that I and the Father are one and that the Father sent me. Sometimes we think we have to have fantastic outreach programs and we have to be doing a lot of cool stuff to attract people. But in fact, the world's going to know and see and come to the Lord as we are unified and as our community life reflects all that stuff. And that's a really, really countercultural thing in a lot of our western churches because unfortunately we've sw- slipped into a pattern of wanting to entertain as as we've read um, as francis chan really i guess highlights in the book that we're reading jesus didn't give many specific instructions about church gatherings and when we call him lord and savior and place him on the throne as tanya was talking about last week we want to prioritize the things that he's commanded us to do And I guess in my journey through the church, through church life over the last 23 years, I guess sadly what I reflect on and what springs to mind when I hear the word, you know, church gathering and think about what's been prioritised in the fellowship of believers, people who submit to Jesus' lordship, is not loving each other. It's about getting things right in our church gatherings it's about having the programs tweaked the right way making sure that we've got the right combination of a good message and good music and that sort of thing 
But actually, Jesus commanded us to love so many more times than he gave specific instructions about what to do when you get together. It can come across as cliche, but we need, 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 need to be reminding each other to love and finding ways to stir each other up to love. The structure is meant to complement that, to, to support that. You know, we see the believers getting together and, and sharing meals and enjoying sharing the word together and, and, and being joyful and that sort of thing. We don't hear much about the church structures and all the issues about oh, who was pastoring, who was, who was deaconing, who was eldering, um, all that sort of thing until later on in Scripture because it was then that there was issues coming up in the church, there was divisions, there was all that, all that sort of thing. The structure was meant to get the early church back on track and go, guys, you're meant to be loving each other. The structure is not an end in itself. Loving each other selflessly is the end because that's what glorifies God. That's what shows the world what true love is like, is like and that's what shows the world our risen saviour. John 13, 12 to 17. This is just awesome Bible passages to back up what I'm saying so you know I'm not making it up. Mm. Who's got that one? I have. Thanks, Mum. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thanks, Mum. Sally's got the next one. The next awesome one. So this is um, John 13, 34, and this is Jesus speaking. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my followers. Mm, again, your love for each other will prove to the world. Not your great programs and your, your awesome worship and that sort of thing. Your love for each other. Who's got the next one? Yeah, I got you, mate. Thanks, pray. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name this is my command love each other thanks bro now all these passages are taken from that segment in the last supper where jesus is gathered hours before he's going to sacrifice his life um, where he's going to lay down be nailed to a cross and and brutally murdered you would think that Jesus would prioritise the most important instructions for that time, wouldn't he? You know, he's going away. The, believe, the disciples are going to be scattered. He told the disciples over and over and over again to love one another. It's really, really, really important timing. And according to the passage that we just read in Acts, you know, we see a pretty good picture of what Jesus commands. 
I wasn't there. I don't think any of us were there. If you were there 2,000 years ago, let me know. I'd love to know your secret to eternal youth. But it sounds like Scripture gives a pretty good report on the early church. You know, they were doing all right. However, as I alluded to earlier, we've hit some roadblocks between now and then. And look, on the whole, I think there's several churches in our local area that we know of, including, I would say, Catalyst, that are doing an all right job, you know, compared to some of the, you know, classical pop Christian church memes and that sort of thing that we see, you know, we're, we're doing all right. We don't have smoke machines, for starters, so we're obviously doing all right. But I still think that there is things that, you know, we need to improve on. And so I just want to spend a bit of time looking at some barriers, I suppose, that we need to be aware of. I heard that in a sermon of Francis Chance that I was listening to probably over 18 months ago now, and that really hit home. So if you didn't catch that, um, a, a new believer in Francis Chan's, um the church he was pastoring at the time, drifted away, and the report he gave was that gang life was more family-oriented and centred. He felt more accepted in the gang than in the church community. And that, that's really sad. That really, really shook me up. Because as much as I say I love doing life with you guys, and as much as I try to prioritise community with you guys, I have constantly over the last 18 months reflected on my priorities and thought, if one of my non-Christian friends turned to Jesus and I was to go, hey, come along and be part of our church community, I honestly can't confidently say or couldn't confidently say for a while that I would be confident that they would experience the level of family, love, consistency, commitment from myself in the context of church community. And that, that's why it hit home. You know, when, whenever we hear something and it makes us feel uncomfortable or we go, oh, that, that didn't feel good. It's an indication that God's trying to get our attention and there's something not right. There's something, we call it in psychology, we call it cognitive dissonance, where something rubs up against something else that we know in our brain. And for me in that moment when I heard that, what Francis was saying was, we've got to lift our game. And I had this knowledge in my mind of going, I'm not lifting my game. What I'm doing is I'm not prioritizing community to the point where if somebody gave their life to Jesus, I'm not confident that they're going to get the love that Jesus paid for. I'm not confident they're going to get an example of love and community that Jesus modeled and asked the church to do. I'm not wanting to condemn anyone this morning. As I prayed, I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts us about we need to change. But I ask you that question this morning. If somebody that you have been praying for came to know Jesus and you invited them to come along and be part of church community, are you confident that they could say, I have found a loving community where I feel accepted, I belong and I feel like I have family, like Jess said this morning? Because if the answer is no, then I challenge you that something needs to change because Jesus died for the world to see family Jesus died for the world to see true love, not a half-baked commitment to come along and rock up on a Sunday and go along to activate group on one night and even meet in an ID group. You can do all those things. 
and still miss the point, guys. We can still miss it. And God's heart breaks because there are people that are walking away from the church because they're not experiencing true love. And we need to set the bar higher because if I stand before God one day and he goes, Sam, you know, you, you did all right. You maintained connection with 50 Christian people. You went along to regular services. You tried to keep up in your Bible reading. All good things, but you missed the point. You didn't love and commit to community in the way that I've asked you to. Here are all the people that I could have sent to you to do life with you, to learn about what it means to live in love and freedom. Then I'm going to be heartbroken. And I realised that I got to a point where, you know, I was doing well trying to play Christian and I love God and I love hanging out with his people, but I realised that I got to a point probably six months ago where I just wasn't keeping up. I was going along to so many services. I was trying to encourage so many believers and that sort of thing. And God's challenged me that I need to scale things back because if, he really, if, he, if I really want to serve and seek and be part of discipling the lost, then I'm going to need time. I'm going to need time. Otherwise, he can't do it. He can't use me. Does this make sense? Yeah? I'm not wanting to convict anyone. I'm just sharing what God's challenged me with and what I believe he wants to challenge us with this morning. Oh, I didn't have that written on the slide. Where are we? Though we're not to form an exclusive club, teaching in the Bible makes it clear that a fierce commitment to pursuing family-like relationships with our fellow believers is vital. I'm not going to go through those passages because I'm aware of time, but please go back and read them this week. In Hebrews 10, we've got a command to not neglect meeting together. In Philippians 1, 27 um, to 2, verse 4, we, the Philippian church is encouraged by Paul to continue contending for the faith side by side. Oh, that's in Thessalonians, sorry. And in Philippians, he asks us to look to Jesus' example and to consider others' needs more important than ourselves. Within the context of these family-like relationships, we need to make conscious efforts to focus on Jesus together. And this is what I think is the second most pertinent point, is that we can do a lot of life together. We can hang out a lot and play board games and drink coffee and that sort of thing and have great conversations about the weather. I'm really good at, the, at small talk. I don't know about you guys. I know some of you are very good at small talk as well. I've seen it firsthand. Some of you aren't. And that's not a bad thing, can I say. We need to make sure that when we're gathering together, we are prioritising the stuff that the early church did, making mention of Jesus, talking about what's going on in our lives and that sort of thing, fellowshipping around Jesus. Why is this vital? I'm a big believer that God doesn't give us commands just to tick a box. I believe he gives us commands because they're healthy, because it's the best way to live. And as you know, I'm studying psychology and social work and you know, as much as there's a lot of warped stuff out there, I believe everything I've been studying points back to the need that humankind has for community. Just finished a subject called community work and we can't get to the bottom of it, but every single human needs community. You know, There's very few people that go through their lives without interacting with each other and finding meaning and purpose in community. So we're wired as social creatures. Community is a need. Praying with, fellowshipping with and learning with other believers is vital because it helps it keep our passions alive as opposed to our passions dimming, our passion for the Lord. We're commanded in Scripture to keep fervent, 
it's a bit hard to keep fervent by yourself. Being in community and prioritising time and these things helps keeps us living a healthy, godly life as opposing to drawing from dry wells, from things that don't satisfy. In Isaiah, God says to Israel, why are you drawing from wells that don't satisfy? Why are you going to things that don't fill that deep longing of your human heart? We need to be pushed in the midst of our culture that prioritizes materialism, social media, stuff that doesn't satisfy. We need to keep pushing each other back to the wellspring of life, back to the word, back to prayer and worship and those things that facilitate us, our relationship with God, because we all know that that's where true fulfillment comes from. But it's so easy. Don't we all know it's so easy to drift from that stuff? And I don't know about you, but when I get together with you all and Tuesday night prayer has been a massive thing for me. Often I come into Tuesday night prayer going, oh man, I'm so overwhelmed. I don't really want to pray. Like, what's this stuff? I'd much rather be ticking off, you know, to-do lists and chasing my tail because I feel like I'm behind and I'm, I'm not up to date and that sort of thing. And then I walk out on a Tuesday night going, man, what's that crap? I don't even care about any of that anymore. Like, Jesus, man. When I get together with believers and we prioritize Jesus, stuff happens. I don't know about for you, it happens for me. Something, a fire gets fanned, a passion gets lit, something that previously I thought was boring and dull becomes so, so, so good. That taste and see that God is good, that happens when I hang out with people who are striving to pursue God. I want to propose this morning that if your love for the Lord is cold, one of the reasons might be is because you're not getting around your brothers and sisters as much as is required to stoke that fire. Um, I don't go to prayer on Tuesday nights just because I think God likes me praying. I go because I, I sure as heck need it myself because I want to serve God. I want to be passionate for God. That's why I go because I want to get stoked and continue walking out um, a passionate life for the Lord. Does that make sense? Yeah, cool, good. That's more just for my own. I just wanted to hear from you because I haven't heard from you in a while. I know I'm going on. hope it's good. Um, quick point there. The Holy Spirit will guide us knowing the balance we need to have between time spent in church communion and time spent outside this. I'm, I don't want to pretend that it's, a, it's hard to prioritise stuff. You know, we've all got, you know, work... Um, commitments, family commitments, all these things that need to be done as part of life. And I don't want anyone to feel judged this morning that I'm not telling you that these things are bad. I'm just saying if, if you're feeling a need, if something's, if stuff in your life and your faith is not feeling great, then maybe we need to rearrange our priorities a little bit. And the Holy Spirit will guide us in knowing a good balance because we don't want to become insulated either. There's another wrestle... F- for us as well apart from time and that's to love i'm going to just go over this quickly and then we're going to spend some time in communion we know that loving's not easy we know that when we spend time with each other people grow on their gears we get frustrated we get tired we don't want to hang out with people we get annoyed because personalities clash and that sort of thing but god invites us to wrestle in this space he invites us to ask him to change our hearts and our attitudes and our perspectives towards each other. And then he gives freely of the love that he showed. And I'm so thankful for that love because I know I know popular discourse in this church would sometimes say that Sam Crotty is is perfect and really are 
a loving guy, but I struggle just as much as you guys to love. I struggle just as much as you guys to get up in the morning sometimes and go to work. We're instructed to love sincerely, not from obligation. Our emotion's important in this stuff. As much as decision making and just taking the shot sometimes to love each other is important. Forgiving each other when we make mistakes, that's so important. Not allowing bitterness to to stir up in our heart and separate us from our brothers and sisters. We're commanded to, to let the sun go down when we're angry, when we've got feelings of bitterness against each other. We're to sort it out because that's going to separate us. When we're separated from community, our fire's going to go out. The world's not going to see through us. A risen saviour, the love of Jesus. The enemy loves to divide and destroy through planting seeds of bitterness in the hearts of of us, in our hearts, in the hearts of man. And as and being a bit more emotionally vulnerable over the last year, as a result of lifestyle changes for me, I've realised that I actually have less of a tolerance for people, and I've had to work really hard on this one. Um, even some of you in this room, I've had to, you know, and that's nothing to do with you guys. That's nothing to do with you guys. Sometimes I've had to really come before the Father in my bedroom and go, God, I'm, I'm struggling with this person. I've got to wrestle with this. And God's okay with us wrestling because he knows our frame. He knows that we are but dust. Am I preaching too long? Are you all still awake? All right, good. I'm going to keep going. We're going to get there. Did I miss something? Oh, sorry, Jim. I, honestly, I don't really mind about your opinion right now. <laughs> Love you, Jim. <laughs> sorry, that was a bit harsh. Yeah, yeah. We're in the same Activate group. It's all good. Being willing to ask permission to correct each other. The Bible talks about not looking at the log in, some, in the speck in somebody else's eye before uh, dealing with the log in our own eyes. And that's important. But I actually think more challenging in our church culture these days is actually taking, having the guts to go to someone, hey, can I actually speak into your life? Like I notice something that's not great. And we've got to be careful who we do that with. It's those people that we have close relationship with. But we need to ask each other permission to actually call each other out. I want to th- just honour this man right here. I'm going to try not to cry. You have been such a blessing in my life over the last few weeks because there's been some, some situations where there's been the potential for me to make some unhealthy choices. And, and Dan has, has questioned me and gone, Sam... I don't know about that, you know. Do you want to just think about that again? And that's been so good because it's, a, it's prevented me from walking down paths that, you know, are unhealthy and going to lead to death and destruction. We all need a Dan in our life. But I like this phrase that John Piper writes, we need to find a friend to wound us, you know. It's a proverb says, many are the kisses of an enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. Part of loving each other is actually giving each other permission and asking permission to correct. And accepting when we've made a mistake and being willing to apologise. This is hard too, isn't it? Getting over our pride, working through that. Oh, no, I did the right thing. It's all good. It's their problem, that sort of thing. I do a lot of this, not as much as I should with my mother. (laughs) Thanks, Mum. I'm trying to think of a specific example to share. Maybe maybe I shouldn't. But, you know, I know I make decisions sometimes to... To prioritise things over people. People get hurt in my life and there's been many times over the past few months that I've had to go to people and go, oh, sorry about that. I missed 
missed the mark. It's really important. The key being, um, and then forgiving, obviously we all know the importance of forgiveness. There's this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18 of a servant of a king. Some of you will know this one. And the king's got a lot of money, obviously, but this servant owes him some cash and he can't pay it. So he goes to the king and goes, you know that debt, can't pay it. And the king goes, well, the king requests, I think, the money first. And he goes, well, I can't pay it. And the king goes, look, it's okay. You know, I understand that you're under financial stress. I understand that you can't pay it. So I'm actually going to waive that one. You know, it's all right, mate. It's all good. And, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Goes home and, you know, maybe it was his neighbor. I'm obviously retelling it. This is Sam's version of the parable. His neighbor owes him 10 bucks from, uh, you know, the Maccas that he shouted in the other night. And um, knocks on the door and goes, oh, mate, really need that 10 bucks. And his neighbor goes, no, I can't. Sorry, I oh, just had to buy some buy some medicine. You know, my, my wife's unwell or my son's unwell. Oh, I need that 10 bucks. Storms off, relationships cut. What's the problem with that? He's been forgiven much, but he hasn't forgiven the little. And it's very easy for us to end up in that place in our lives. Not because we don't acknowledge that what Jesus did for us is big, because we all acknowledge that from a, like an intellectual perspective. There's a difference between intellect and heart, as we all know. And that's why it's really important that our passion for the Lord is strong, because then forgiving becomes easy. And loving each other becomes easy when our passion for the Lord and our perspective of things is right. So it's kind of like a cycle. The more we're in community, the more we're loving God, the more we're loving people. The more we're loving people, the more we're in community. When the enemy isolates us from that cycle, if he can get us out of that cycle, then we're, we're game for him. It's dangerous for us and others. So that's the wrestle. How do we wrestle? And this is where I want to finish this morning. It's by looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, allowing his example to refresh our heart of love just want to spend a moment just reading the word's good i believe the word is powerful in and of itself i'm going to i'm going to read this i'm going to highlight a few points and then i just want to spend 5 minutes just in silence as you're ready to do so come up and grab a little glass with some juice in it and i think it's crackers and i want you to take that communion in your own time Just reflect on maybe some of the stuff that the Holy Spirit's brought to mind over the past half an hour or so. Repent if you need to and just meditate on Jesus and the incredible sacrifice that he gave for us. This is what God commands us, Jesus commands us to do, is to to remember him. And I believe there's power in that for us. Is that cool? So I'll read, we'll highlight some points and then we'll, um, we'll just spend a moment. Jesus came and proceeded as it was his custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not enter into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw and knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel of heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. 
being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you might not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came and one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered him and said, stop, no more of this. Then he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber. I was with you daily in the temple and you didn't lay your hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Having arrested him, they led him away, brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following in the distance. After they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. A little later, another saw him and said, Yeah, you're one of them too. But Peter said, Man, and I'm not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man was always with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you were talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, Prophesy, who's the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. When it was day, the council of elders and the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of, the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, what further need do we have of testimony? For you, we have heard it from ourselves, from his own mouth. He was led to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading the nation and forbidding the people to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he's Christ, he's a king. Pilate answered him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and crowds, I, found, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he learned he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. Now Herod was really glad 
when he saw Jesus, for he'd wanted to see him for a long time because he'd been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed. And he questioned him at some length, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe, sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends that day. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought this man as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges with which you've made. Nor is Herod, for he sent him back to us, and nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore, I'll, I'll punish him and, and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept calling out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I found in him no guilt as demanding death. I'll punish him and, and release him. But they were insistent and with loud voices asking again that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. Pilate pronounced the sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. And he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him a cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a very large crowd of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and your children. For behold, the days are coming when they'll say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and the hills cover us. Jesus was talking about the incredible devastation among people who do not turn to Jesus. It's not in the Bible, it's mine. No. Two others who were also criminals being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him some wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription above him saying, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged beside him was hurling abuse at him, saying, You're not the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered him, rebuked the other criminal and said, Do you not even fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. We're, we're suffering justly, for we're receiving what we deserve from our deeds. But this man's done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to him, Truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, certainly, man, this this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. Jesus, we just thank you. We just thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for not getting bitter at them. Because, Lord, I probably would have done the same thing. Probably would have stood in that crowd as well. Not stood up for you. Thank you that those words, Father, forgive them, ring true for us today. God, how can we not turn and love our brothers and sisters? When you put went through so much, Lord, when you went so much, how can we let things get in the way of trying to show the world your example? Lord, how can we not prioritize you when you lay down your life willingly? Father didn't force you. You chose it. Lord, I pray that you would motivate us to love each other. Thank you. 